You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. Hey, everybody. This is Corey Minton with The Big Data Beard, and we are recording at Dell Technologies World in Las Vegas. And we've spent some money, and some of the money we've been spending has been powered by my favorite credit card in the world, MasterCard. And I am so excited to have our good friend, Nick Kukuru, VP of Data Analytics and Cybersecurity for MasterCard, joining us today. Nick, how you doing, buddy? It's been a spectacular day here at Dell Technology World. It's a wild conference, isn't it? It is something, man. I can't tell you. The the Alienware booth out there, I'm ready to play games. I know. It's so cool. They're playing, uh, what's the Rocket League? Or Rocket, uh, what's it called? Uh, I don't know. I just know I'm better than you at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You did beat me at it last, last time we were in Salt Lake. Well, Nick, do us a favor. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, no problem. One of the th- one of the greatest things is I'm a, I'm a data guy at heart. Yeah. Always has been. From my days when I was a cast member at the Walt Disney Company, all the way through now at MasterCard. It's all about what the data that I get to play with, mm-hmm. you know, and creating a bigger data set. So that always has intrigued me. And I keep get, get gets better and better, bigger and bigger data sets, more and more powerful machines actually process that data and the insights. That is what really gets me excited in the morning when I wake up. So it's been a great ride these last five years, I got to tell you. Very cool. So you've had some time at Disney, but now you're at MasterCard. And MasterCard's here at the conference. You guys are giving some presentations introduce us at a high level like obviously i think we can make the jump on why mastercard cares about data but like tell me what mastercard thinks in terms of data analytics and why you're here talking well first actually Corey, what i want to be able to let everyone know if they walk away with one thing from this is mastercard is not a credit card company okay Uh, we don't issue the credit cards we're actually a technology company we run the network that actually powers those cards so we'll do everything from not just the card itself but we're in the connected car all the way to allowing you to order groceries through your refrigerator. I like that. So our technology is being embedded everywhere. So as a technology company, you know, we take a look at how we can make things easier, but yet continue to do it in a safe and secure manner. Our prime directive is all about safety, security, and now we're actually bringing in privacy to make sure that comes into play. But the first and foremost, it's always about a safe transaction, a secure transaction, so that we can create that trust. Yeah. between us and the person who actually holds that card. And just tell the audience, how many transactions does MasterCard do a day, a week, a year? It's, it's astronomical. Well, this is the exciting part of what I get to do. So I want to give you some stats. We actually process about 74 billion transactions <laughs> every year. <laughs> Half and, of them are Corey in Vegas, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And the amazing part is it's not going to be out of the realm to say in the next two to three years, that can double to 150 billion. As we take a look at it. And that's the data set I get to use. I mean, I got 2.5 billion cardholders out there that are using MasterCards. You know, it goes across 23,000 financial institutions, 50 million merchants, 210 countries and territories globally. That's insane. And and, and the insane part is actually this. Those 74 billion transactions when they're lined up in the queue. And by the way, if if you, being a Disney guy, being a queue guy, Little's Law. Always about Little's Law and the queue itself. We actually got to try to process those transactions in about 130 milliseconds. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's a time scale that most people aren't really comfortable with. Yeah, and when you thought about if you'd have been here 10 years ago, we'd be looking at you going, we're just happy with seconds. Yeah. And now the team is, is looking at it saying, we want to be in milliseconds, and how do we even get better at it? Yeah. 
better performance, better scale, more scale. And it's just, as an old guy, it just boggles my mind, yeah. right? So it's been a great ride, I gotta tell you. That's very cool. So when I think about credit card transaction data, as, as obviously a technology company, which, which I love the thought, that data to me though is that is is so personal like the way people use their credit cards it it's it's like it's their life and i can only imagine the kinds of crazy good insights you have but the responsibility that you have so why is it that like when i think about mastercard as a data company a technology company that i've heard you talk like you're really passionate about the security and this trust thing help me understand why that's so critical well the first is the trust factor first mm -hmm. and foremost and one of the ways we get that trust factor, believe it or not, is we anonymize all of our data. Okay. So I don't know if you're holding that card. I don't know the individual holding it. I just know the card and what's being done with the card. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how we start to work through trust. Yep. That's how we start to be able to say we can take some of our insights and help understand, you know, from high macroeconomics to even regional economics, down even to some zip codes, what's going on to improve. But the most important thing is the trust factor. That's why safety and security is there. We want you to have that card and understand we're doing everything to fight fraud. Mm -hmm. So that card is safe with you. And more importantly, if we do that right and you trust it, that allows us to go into, and we call it inclusive growth, to allow other people to join that are generally unbanked, which are about $2 billion, yep. to start to join the economy. So there's, an, there's a larger mission for us. But the first one in any type of thing, as you guys know, is first and foremost, get the primary directive done first. Yeah. Safety and security, mm -hmm. worry about that, and then you start to work towards that bigger mission, which is getting other people to join the digital economy. Interesting. So it is, I do find it interesting that as a technology company, you're here at, at Dell Technologies World, right? And I, one of the things I know I've heard about MasterCard in the past is you guys were pretty early adopters of some of the Hadoop technologies, early partners with, I think it was Cloudera, and you've done some early work with Dell. Can you explain a little bit about kind of the history of how you've built some of these data-intensive platforms and, and, what, and how it's changed, right? Because the world is different today than it was yesterday. I, I got to tell you, the, the, we'll just stay with Hadoop. The Hadoop platform we started with is not the Hadoop platform we have yeah. today. Um, and that's only in the last five or six years. Yep. But I think one of the interesting parts that makes MasterCard do what it does is it's not just looking at today. Yep. Yes, we are very concerned that those 74 billion transactions get processed this year. Yep. But MasterCard has that forward-looking approach saying, what do I got to be there in five years? Where do I need to be? Mm -hmm. And we allow that, what we, where we need to be, to actually dictate how we architect. Yep. And that technology, that's why we're an early adopter of Hadoop. Yep. We're like, there's the only way we're going to start to get scale is to start to look at the new technology and how we can do it. How can we, when it comes to mobile uh, payments, how do we, when it comes to the Internet of Things, when someone's using their PC, speed this up? Right? In an old legacy system, it's not going to be possible. You're going to be in seconds. The Jeopardy song will play. Right. But and when you talk about today, it's how do we get that scale? How do we actually balance scale um, and performance? Yep. And that's what's changed. And working with guys like Cloudera, working with guys like Dell, um, we've seen that forward looking. That's how we actually like to choose our partners. Yep. What are you seeing in five years? What are you seeing in seven years? Uh, what are your customers looking at? Um, again, we're not worried, we're worried about today, but we know if we don't do something about five, seven, eight years, we'll fall behind. Yeah, and in this in this war against fraud, right? You always have to stay one step ahead of the people that are committing fraudulent activities, or three or four steps. So, mm -hmm. looking five years ahead, obviously, it gives you that capability. Uh, today, though, like, how are you looking ahead to kind of at new technologies, new capabilities 
to stay one step ahead of the hacker yeah, or well, whoever it is. Actually, the, we'll take one step back. What, what, peop, what people are starting to realize is this business about the hackers and fraud, it's a business. Mm-hmm. It is a business. It's a $6 trillion business. No way. Yeah. Really? The estimates that we're getting out is $6 trillion is what these guys are going after. Yeah. And they're doing it in an agile manner. Mm-hmm. And they're using AI to try to stay one step ahead of us. Exactly. I'm in the long well, I'm in the wrong line of work, by the way. <laughs> so You're the right one. Be a good boy. <laughs> I, I got it. And it's amazing how adaptive they've become. Yeah. So for us, as we take a look at what we've got to be able to do, if you looked at what we were doing 10 years ago, we were probably looking at about 10 variables in regards to knowing it's you. It's it's really you yeah. who's doing the transaction. Um, now, well, with the advent of AI and bringing that in um, through our partners with Brighterian, such a we're now looking at potentially up to 150 variables. Really? So we keep going deeper and deeper, and we're actually able to tier those. So the first yeah. 10 you're going to look at, if if you got like an alert or you're feeling a little suspicious, your gut's feeling a little bit, you know, the machine's like, oh, I'm not sure about this. We drop down to the next level, and we start looking at like, okay, let's let's go a little bit deeper now. What do we know? What, what, has this IP address ever been used before? You know, has this person shopped at this time of day yeah. before? What's their patterns from that? Or I shouldn't say person, has that card, that's our perspective, yeah. shopped at this time of day. And we look at other things like, okay, what else do we need to be seeing that we could say, all right, I want to make sure the transaction goes through right, because it's also a bad experience if I shut you down. For sure. And, and it's legit. Absolutely. You know, here in Vegas, you know, that becomes really important um, if you need to get to your credit. <laughs> because of the tables but that's, that's right. you know we look at there's a double-edged sword there for one sure you want is. us to protect it absolutely but then you're also like i also want it to go through when it's me yeah um so again for us it's being able to get to the 150 variables and and start to add that next layer because we're even looking at uh passive biometrics okay. so active biometrics is you know like you know retinal scans you'll see in the movies or your thumbprint or face you know selfie well, we're also using passive biometrics for a level of verification. The way you hold your mobile device can be distinctive to you. Really? The way you actually swipe, distinctive yeah. to you. Actually, combining those two becomes even more distinctive. The way you tap, your cadence, you know, even to the point of whether it's the mobile device or your keyboard, yeah. the pressure you put on your keyboard, the way you use your mouse, all when you start to put them together becomes uniquely that individual. <laughs> So now we can sit there because most of the fraud is moving to the, to the digital space, the yeah. internet of things, because we've done a really good job at fraud in the, in the stores. Yeah. We're like, now we got to make sure it's not a bot who's trying to impersonate you. Exactly. Or someone who's hijacked your phone and has cloned it. You know, you see some of these clone farms where you've got 10,000 iPhones or Samsungs that are literally, they're, they're, they've cloned your phone and they're trying to actually duplicate what you're doing to create the fraud. Yeah. And now it's like, how do we outsmart them? Well, passive biometrics is one of those ways to do it that becomes seamless to you. Sure. Because at any point, you're always going to hold the phone. And I'm not asking you additional questions or asking you to pick out the number of, what do you call it, signs, you know, street signs. Yeah, exactly, the CAPTCHA. And you never get it right the first time. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it takes two or three. I am not a robot. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely a sign. (laughs) But now it's it's like, what when we start using that, when we have been, we're finding it becomes when frictionless for the individual yeah and a lot more people are like a little bit more i get it they don't they're they're when you go active biometrics people are a little bit hesitant to share i don't want to take my selfie you know because it's going to be stored somewhere right right you know i don't want my thumbprints because you know someone can duplicate my thumbprint right but now with passive it's like okay yeah you got that next level 
It's um, incredible. And, and and the only way you can do those things is when you when you actually, you know, for us, it's the ability to use those all within a 130 millisecond time frame. That's crazy. Yeah, and then it is. I mean, again, it's you wouldn't think about this stuff four, you know, five, six years ago. I didn't even know that the data points of how you held your phone were being collected. <laughs> so all of those unique data points, uh, now you have a challenge of normalization. How do you actually bring those into your your data lake, so to speak, and um, data management becomes an issue. So how are you actually affecting data management so that you can apply all this data that's I didn't even know existed to your your algorithms? Well, that's actually that's what advent of AI um, and machine learning has helped us with, right? Or even actually, I'll say this: even the way that we use metadata, metadata is now extremely extremely important. That's how you track. That's the lineage. Okay. How that data is being used, where it's being stored, where it's being captured. So. When you take a look at it, everyone else, you know, the, the linchpin of all that data turns into um, one data class, data profiling. What is that data? Data classification. Mm -hmm. What type of data do I have that's coming through? And then it turns into where that data goes. It's the lineage, which is the metadata. Um, and the one thing that the, the bad guys do know is metadata can tell you a lot more than you can ever imagine. Um, and that to us is that's what we have to use to be able to understand that full lineage, so where that data lives, where it's been used, and who has actually access to it. That becomes another component to it, because again, who has access, because what does a hacker want? He wants privileged access. So now you gotta monitor the access to that particular pieces of data, especially if it's sensitive, especially if it's mission critical, and you're like, this is highly personal, or this is really sensitive information, especially for hospitals, right? Uh, so now how you track and take care of it. And again, for us, turns into the metadata gets, creates the lineage. And also, by the way, you need the lineage. If you find bad guys, that lineage also helps create a case for law enforcement. Yeah. So they can go back through. So your, your role has evolved now. It sounds, you know, obviously deriving value from data is a clearly like a, it's a core part of what MasterCard is doing securing that data is incredibly important, but the threat landscape of how your fraudsters has changed. Why is it important for organizations to start thinking about bringing those two worlds of data and security together? Well, you know, the, the one thing is they're starting to go hand in hand. So for us, data security is more than just governance. It's more than just compliance. It's more than just, you know, what we, what we try. It's actually turning into stewardship of the data. And that stewardship has where privacy starts to come in a bit. And it's now turned into the ethical use of data. Yeah. Are you being responsible? Because in many cases, whether it's MasterCard or whomever, that data is someone's digital persona. It's their digital identity. And that is them. And yeah. it's out there. It is, it is, you can learn more from someone's data from what's out there than what they know about themselves in some cases. For sure. So now those two components come together and stewardship becomes important. Because that's what people are asking for us now. What we've seen in the last 18 months, people are asking, I, gave you per I did not give you permission to use my data in that way. What they're actually saying is, I didn't give you permission to do that, yeah. right? I didn't give you permission to come into my house and use that information and do it. And, and that's one where people are taken aback. Yeah. And the other part that I look at when it comes to as those two worlds come together is people are also asking the question, what value am I getting out of this? Because again, you're driving data insult, uh, insights. You know, one of my jobs as a data scientist used to be to try to figure out how to do the Jedi mind trick, make you do something I want you to do, Yeah. right? And now it's about the person's like, well, am I going to get value from it? 
And what we've seen in the abuses is someone's like, I didn't give you permission to do it that way. And secondly, this is a one-way street. Right. I get no value, but you do. Yeah. And it, it, it ticks me off just like anyone else. I want some value from this. Yeah, for sure. What are you going to give me back in return? And if we don't prove that to them that there's some value in response to you sharing your information with me, they're going to stop. Absolutely. Welcome to, people are like, we need this to stop GDPR. Yeah. California Privacy Acts. Exactly. Um, all the rest of the states here in the United States that are doing, Australia's got their privacy rules, so does Canada. Yep. More and more countries are trying to create, trying to become parents. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. You're a parent of someone's data. And, and you got to be able to say, just because I have the data, doesn't mean you have to use the data. Just because I have it. Doesn't, doesn't mean you have the right to, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, or it doesn't even make sense. Even if you, even if you had the right to, does it make sense? Yeah. I mean, d- d- I'm overweight. I know that. <laughs> you know, do I want a fitness center to call me up and say, hey, Nick, we know you're fat? <laughs> they know I am. <laughs> right? It's not, not nice. <laughs> but, you know, they, they may say, hone the message that says, hey, you know, Nick, maybe you want to be a little healthier you. Yeah, that's a little better than there we know go. you're fat. You need to be in here and working out twice a day. I'm just for pic- our listeners. Nick is not fat. We're so just we're clear. <laughs> well, I'm just picturing the dodgeball gym, like calling up Ben Stiller, just saying that on the phone. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. So it's it, it's wild to me that I, I think that people forget that just because you can doesn't mean you should in so many cases. And I, and I love hearing that the the th- I don't think how I don't think many of us are aware how the threat landscape has changed. As we've digitized experiences. Well, even think of this. So one of the reasons within even our passive biometrics, we, we actually have the opportunity to find out uh, words that you frequently misspell. Which just. Could make, yeah. I misspell just every time. I don't know why. I put the S in front of you. It's embarrassing. And imagine now I can make that part of your verification. Instead of asking you yeah. your mother's maiden name, yeah. where you went to high school, where you went to elementary, where you went, what your first car was, because guess what? Right. The hackers are going out on Facebook, and they're like, oh, I've matched. Exactly. So I know your mother's maiden name. Yep. I know where you went to high school because you talked about your high school reunion. Yep. I know you were, you're talking about that wonderful Chevelle that I missed you had my first way car. back. Right? Hashtag, what was your first car? Right. And then everybody responds with their first car. Yep. Imagine that. Now I know all that. Actually, what, what was your first car? Are you a fraudster, or should I tell you? I don't, feel, I don't know how <laughs> I feel about this. <laughs> I'll tell anyone. My first car was actually a Chevy Blazer. Mine was a Ford F two fifty. There you go. Because I'm a Texas boy, and you got to be able to lo- haul a load of hay. I have Honda my Civic. <laughs> That's very Boston of you. <laughs> but the thing is, is those people know that. So within passive biometrics, I'm actually going to put a sentence and say, "Hey, there's two or three words I know you always misspell." Because I, I'm going to put that in the sentence. Now type it out. And by goodness, you should have one of those should be misspelled. Yeah. If it's not, guess what? Questionable. Which means I probably have a bot on the other side. Yeah. So you get to the point where that's what you're trying to be able to do when it comes to that level of protection, but also going against the fraudsters who are out there mining that data just like a marketing for sure person would do. Well, they've got a $6 trillion market you said they're going yeah. through. There's clearly it's money in it. huge. Definitely a number they have to hit every year. And they do. No, <laughs> yeah. actually, it's amazing because they do. So let's talk ransomware. So ransomware used to be I go after the Fortune 500 companies, right? And I try to get five million, maybe ten million, turn yourself back on. Well, what the fraudsters have done is like, you know what? They put some really good things in place around ransomware, and it takes me generally forty-eight to seventy-two hours to try to extract or whatever. But if I can lock up someone's iPhone and tell them give me five bucks, and I do that a million times today, yeah. I get five million exactly with less hassle. Yeah, and. I have now the cash machine rolling. 
Exactly. So that's how they're adapting. Really, really. That's the business. They're like, what are we getting from the, the ransomware line? We're getting five million a day. The disgusting <laughs> thing about that is that's the whole like we. So many companies have like these edge to core to cloud or edge to cloud to AI, whatever. That's literally edge. Yes. <laughs> for for frosters, like it makes yep. me sick that they're using our technology like for good ideas and applying them to defraud us. And you've got to actually get get in front of them because also to them. It's not the individual. That's where I think we have the the, dis, the where it disconnects in their mind. Yeah. It's just a number. They don't even know it's Corey. They don't know it's sure. Nick. They don't know it's Sam or John. It's not the individual. And I think that's what I've enjoyed in my career, whether I was at the Walt Disney Company, whether I was at the SAS Institute, or now at MasterCard. We do care about the person. You're protecting a person. Right. And when you have that mindset, you're like, all right, we should be doing some the right thing. You know, it starts to say, what is the right thing? Yeah. Versus, I just got to do this to meet my number. Right, exactly. And that's where you got to have that. That's where you need to be that parent. What's the right thing? Yeah. So when you think about the the next couple of years as maybe we move out of the hype cycle around AI a bit and we get to more reality, more broad adoption in the enterprise, what are those, like, what are the big barriers to uh, enterprise success with AI that, that, that I think that you think we have to like overcome, and we have really have to as as broader technology companies, we have to help solve problems. You know, t- to me, t- from a technology standpoint, the Lambda architecture served us so well yep. these last actually probably two to three years. Okay. They, it really has come in its own. Um, we're going to have to get beyond it. Really? Okay. Why yeah. is that? And that's because more of us are living in the streaming real-time world. Yeah. So in that Lambda architecture, it's all about the speed layer and how it meets the batch layer, right, the service layer. Well, we're living in so much of the speed layer now that w- where I'm seeing is the speed and the batch layer are becoming one. For sure. Which means now we're moving to a cap architecture. Okay. Which now means I have more demand on my in-memory, mm-hmm. you know, the data context in-memory. I have more demand on my pre-computations. That I'm going to be making. And as a result of that, what, what we're at MasterCard are investigating, but also I, which is what this conference is really good about, is how do we start to move the CPU mm-hmm. into that streaming world? Yep. Because the CPU is about, that's the power of neural networks. Right. That's the power of actually deep learning. So deep learning right now sits in the batch layer. That's what it's, it's, it's learning, it's processing. And then you say, hey, I've never seen this before. How do I apply what I've learned before to this? Yeah. That's the cognitive learning. Right. Well, when I get that in the real world, in the streaming layer, I need it to be faster. And the only way you're going to do that is with CPU power. Because mm-hmm. if you're trying to imitate a brain, guess what? That machine has to imitate now. And you need the CPU, yeah. and they need it to come into that stream or that cap architecture. How do you do that in a post-Moore's Law world where CPUs aren't getting that much faster? You know, that, that's the challenge. Yeah. That's the challenge that, that, that Dell Technologies faces. That's the challenge Intel faces. That's mm-hmm. the challenge AMD faces. Yeah. Um, you know, even Toshiba, they keep adding layers. Yeah. Right. And how do we continue to add those layers, and what is it helping us with? Because, again, you know what? We're only going to get so much out of that silicon. Now, does that mean we have to add more nodes, more more machines to be hooked Scale, together? Yeah. Which now means, guess what? I don't, I can't have any latency. Right. Now they all have to work together, and now you're looking at it's like, okay, how does that play out? Yeah. And again, for for us, we're like, we're trying to figure out that problem now, because we know in three years it's here, yeah. and it's like it could be even here sooner, but we know it's coming. 
So in a Moore's world, yes, that doubling is now also working on architecture as well. For sure. Usually we always had a little time to catch up. Remember ERP, we could catch up. Mm-hmm. And then we had advanced analytics, we could kind of catch up again. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we'll kind of skip over big data. But now that we're in AI, yeah. we're like, holy crap. It's this is really now cool. exponential. Yeah. That curve is a hockey stick. For sure. One of the things that I, I when we think about architecture solving problems, I think the technology world is, it's changing so fast. It's crazy. The number of tools and tech and things that exist to empower machine learning are nuts. I always like to go back to a human issue, which is like, we if we're going to build great AI, we have to have lots and lots of data. But the sad fact is that so much of our data is human created, therefore it carries our human biases. How critical is like, and, and are there things that you and the team at MasterCard are doing to help fight that, you know, we can build great systems, we can do a lot of things, but at the end of the day, we're still putting data into these systems to train models to go make predictions or stop things. How, like, how critical is that concern over bias? It's in always, in our, in our world, bias is a big thing. We can't have bias. Uh, we're, we're working with financial institutions. We, you have to eliminate it. And some of the ways that you look to eliminate that is you can use artificial intelligence to help you understand if there's bias there. Um, So you can have AI on top of AI, which we are doing in some cases. But what you're also doing is instead of letting the machine determine the algorithm, check the machine. So there's artificial intelligence. That's great. But the human intelligence is is where you have to bring it in. Still superior. Again, think of it as, (laughs) you know, as a parent, I want to validate and verify my kid is where he says he is. Right. Right, not just he's he just he told me. Yeah. So I want to verify and validate the AI, which means in some cases for us, you'll have two or three teams working on the same problem. Yep. How did they solve it? Mm-hmm. You know what what variables were used here versus here versus what was chosen there, and then you start to take a look at does that variable have any consequences to it, yep. and then you start to really think about how those variables feed into a model. Mm-hmm. That's how you start to try to eliminate as much of the bias as you can. Yep. But if you have only one person doing the, the, the modeling, which I'd never suggest. Yeah. We always had two, and they would one would check the other's work. Um, that's how you start to realize is, why was that important to you? Because yeah. if you don't ask them why it was important or why is that variable, you know, it's like, okay, I, I kind of get that, but that's that's your opinion. Yeah. That's, that was the, the art of data science. Right, for sure. Now you can use artificial intelligence, and again, we started using like decision trees and regression saying, this is why that variable is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Now, does that variable carry an inherent bias to it? That's why, you know, if you look at the way we always do risk and credit scoring, you're going to take out some of the most sensitive data. You don't want anything around race and gender, et cetera, inside those because, again, you just want to go off pure numbers. For sure. Um, So the the question now is, is how do we make sure that we were able to do that? You know, because there's other things you can play into biases as well. You can have neighborhoods. You can have parts of the country, and you're like, how do I eliminate those? Yeah. So now you ask yourself, what are those variables going in? Yeah. And then if I eliminate these, I can eliminate potentially that bias that could come with those. Yeah. So you have a crucial role in helping drive MasterCard forward in terms of continuing to not only use data well for b- providing benefit to your customers, your cardholders, but also securing it and making sure that you have the trust of those users long term. When you think about the next 18 to 24 months, what are the next things that you're excited about that you're working on or that your team is starting to think about? Well, I, I think one of them is going to be the advent of the rollout of passive biometrics mm-hmm. yep. um, and being able to use that as another level of verification. Yep. Um, that, that has tremendous potential across the board, not just with a credit card, mm-hmm. 
um, or a financial transaction, but we're also talking access to data. We're talking even access to you know even buildings in some cases. So that one has a tremendous potential to it. I think what also excites us is our our investment within AI. We're being asked by other industries, can you help us solve other problems? Really? Not okay. just in the financial institutions, can you help us solve other problems? One of them is we actually just kicked off a project in Europe around a data market. Yep. So the European Union has, we have a consortium that we're taking part in, and it's about being able to actually sit back and create a data market that is both compliant, that is both, uh, we can anonymize the data so you can't re-identify, so you feel safe and secure there. Mm -hmm. And then we're also within GDPR and the compliancy of that. And so that organizations can keep sharing their information to keep the data economy flowing. We don't want people to hold back and all of a sudden we stymie innovation. So that's what we're looking forward in the next 18 to 24 months. Um, and probably the last thing, more tactically, is how we are fighting AML. So we've had the privilege of working with the UK and their central bank, along with, I think it was eight or 10 of the largest banks in the UK to start looking at how we can track the money flow and identify bad people and bad guys. And again, for us, it's like, when you look at that, we've done it in the UK, it's proven itself. How can we start doing that for other countries and other regions so that we can start taking a look at how we can fight um, anti-money laundering, the flow of money to terrorism. Yeah, so you've shared MasterCard's story at a lot of big tech uh, conferences this year, AI conference, Dell Tech World. Where's the next place that you're gonna be talking about what you and MasterCard as a technology company is doing? Well, you know, the nice part is, is I will be heading to Detroit, my hometown, um, to talk about uh, data privacy and how we at MasterCard are approaching it and how we're looking at data privacy and how other organizations need to be going. And so I'm heading back to the great city of Detroit. Motor City, born and raised. <laughs> yeah, on Seven Mile. That's actually where I was born, right there on Seven Mile, Moross. Very cool. Uh, and to be able to sit there and talk to um, folks around how you can ensure privacy. So, yep, I will be in Detroit, and it'll be a great time. Cool. So I want to switch gears, and I want to move to our rapid-fire sections. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment, we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. This Rapid Fire is brought to you by the Disney Data Analytics Conference, which is taking place in Orlando, Florida on August 20th through 21st. The Disney Data and Analytics Conference will bring together over 2,000 executives, managers, and analysts representing over 250 companies and universities, plus all the segments of the Walt Disney Company. This is truly a great conference to attend. We had a blast last year and learned a whole lot. And this year, you can save 20% off your conference pass by using promo code BIGDATABEARD-2019. We'll see you there. So what is the latest book you've read that you would recommend to your listeners? Really? Yeah. West Point Way of Leadership. Love it. Yeah. As a captain in the army, I love it. <laughs> if you have a song to play when you walk on stage, all the many conferences that you speak to, what is your you know, walk-on song? So I will tell you, I will say the name of the band, you tell me the walk-on song, ACDC? Back in Black? Yeah. 
There you go. <laughs> Nailed it. That's a great walk-up song. I blank. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love my ACDC. So I love that. My, uh, <laughs> we asked Brett this question. Some, one time we asked one of the guests, and uh, they were like, so what's your song? And Brett was like, he froze. He's like, Theater oh, and no. The headlights. <laughs> oh, no, man. I'll take, I'll take Back in Black, or I'll take Thunderstruck. I like yeah, it. Thunderstruck is strong. Yeah, something like Hell's Bells or something like yeah. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. What piece of technology is making your life worse right now? Oh, what piece of technology is making my life worse right now? Wow, there's a lot of them, but no. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that to work in tech, how much you get frustrated with tech. It's so, like, it's visceral for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you know, it's it, that's actually a good one. Um, you know what? It's it's dealing with the legacy, <laughs> our legacy rule systems, our legacy reg- legacy apps. So it's not a piece of technology. Yeah, it's actually the process around it. That's what usually causes me the issue. It's usually not the tech. Yeah. Because I'll still run a System 36 and I'll absolutely love it yeah. to death because it runs like a tank, right? Or an right. AS400. Yeah. But now it's usually the process someone put inside of it. That's my problem. Okay. There you go. Processes. That's a so good one. What's your biggest personal money pit right now? Oh, it's going to be my daughter's uh, college education. That's a, okay. <laughs> it's a valuable one, but it's one. I got two coming. Important investment. <laughs> but uh, no, no, it, it'll be that. Um, and, and actually, that one. And um, we've got a we got to lay. Uh, we're putting. We're, uh, we'll stay with that one. That's okay. right. I dig it. What show are you binging on right now? <laughs> you really want it? The marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah, yes, I, I, I agree. Great things. Uh, it has caught my attention. <laughs> it's so good. It's it's funny. It's like quick witted. It's the it's beautifully shot in terms of like the it's visually fun to watch. I just is that a Netflix fan. or an Amazon? Amazon Prime. Amazon. It's okay. Amazon Prime. And I'm gonna tell you what. Not only did I binge on it, when I went home to see my mother back in Detroit, I showed her the first episode. My mom, who's 81 years old, 16 hours later, (laughs) went through both seasons. (laughs) I love that. I woke up the next morning and my mother's handing me back my my phone and she's like, that was great. Like, ma? (laughs) (laughs) You slept? I know. It's like like coming to Vegas, right? That's right. So, by the way, there's a awesome. show, a video on YouTube of James Corden, one of his employees, yeah. was forced to watch all seven seasons of Game of Thrones nonstop. Like, they locked him in a room, all delivery, people would come over and hang out oh, with him. Oh, that's terrible. That is not a set, like, a straight-through binge-watching show. No. Um, I felt bad after the first <laughs> first season. you got to process Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah, you really need, you need, <laughs> you do need, yeah. you need two years to uh, process yeah. the end of that. Right. It's almost like when I have a conversation with my wife. What just happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then the last one, where is the next interesting place that you're going to? Other than Detroit, which is... The, you know what? I'm going to Isle Royal National Park in oh, Lake Superior. Really? We go to a national park every year. We hike. We, we head up to the mountains. But this time we're going to Isle Royal. Yeah. It's in the, between Lake Superior, uh, between Michigan, the Upper Peninsula, and Minnesota. The Isle UP. Royal. I love it, man. Yep. Well, Nick, it has been super fun to chat with you on the Big Data Beard podcast. I encourage folks to check out what MasterCard is doing and honestly follow you in the sessions because I've enjoyed listening to you at the at the uh, Strata Data and the AI conferences in the past and certainly appreciate you being here with us at Dell Technologies World. Definitely a pleasure. It's been a spectacular time. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Love. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify.